The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Joining us for the week, trending Adele Coffey, author and Irish Examiner columnist and also Lorcan Nine, Head of Careers at the Communications Clinic. Just want to read one comment from a listener in relation to the last item. My son has been horrendously bullied this year in school. Youngest of five children and we stupidly thought school could protect him. They couldn't care less. He's now moving school to get away from it. No consequences for bullies. I'm still livid. I've heard this from many people in the past uh, who feel that schools don't do enough. I wonder if the schools don't want to admit it's happening for fear of liability. Uh, But it's certainly something that has uh, caused enormous problems for many families and many children over the years. And some things, it seems, never change. Let's get on to the week trending. Lorcan Nine, can you tell us what do we know of what really happened to Harry of the British royal family and his wife Meghan, the Suits soap star, in New York City this week? It depends which side of this you decide to believe, Matt. So really the answer is we know very little of what actually happened. We do know that Harry and Meghan said that they were involved in a two-hour-long, near-catastrophic um, journey um, across New York, being chased by paparazzi. Um, is this the Fast and the Furious? Yeah, in gridlocked traffic in New York, so it, it would make the film a little bit more boring if that's what it was. So look, there's now been conflicting reports coming out that this was actually 10 minutes and there was no injuries, there was no collisions, there was wasn't a huge amount to this and I do think it's you know it's an interesting use of the English language because really anything is near catastrophic I mean it just depends how near you decide you are to catastrophe uh, but everything is near catastrophic me speaking here now is near catastrophic um, but so it, they can kind of say what they want in those terms but they have said it was two hours long and really listening to the taxi driver who's involved to what the NYPD are saying it was not two hours long and so for that alone whatever side you're on whether you think that the paparazzi should leave them alone or not we should at least be able to not be totally hyperbolic about what happened Richie and Rexford says who actually cares about this ex-Prince Harry well he did publish a book earlier this year which is one of the best selling books of all time which would suggest loads of people actually care what do you make of this Adele are you taking sides in relation to this one I kind of am. And I know it's difficult to take sides uh, with people who are, you know, presented as quite unlikable and who want to court publicity on the one hand for their Netflix documentaries and their best-selling memoirs. And yet they want privacy and they don't want to be pursued by paparazzi. But I do feel kind of sorry for them. And here's why. A, uh, despite all their money and their wealth, I think their lives must be absolute hell. They, they've no uh, liberty. They've no freedom to walk around anywhere they want to go. But also, I think the narrative here is quite interesting. Um, I do believe that the the chase, let's call it the chase, however fast it was, um, lasted two hours. But the, the segment that lasted 10 minutes was when they got into a taxi going from the police station where they had tried to take shelter. And they rode around in his taxi for 10 minutes and got brought back to the police station because they couldn't go back to the place they were staying. Um, Grazia magazine, I was reading around this today, and Grazia magazine made a very good point, which is, you know, what would it take for us to actually believe um, Meghan and Harry and to believe their distress? Because the narrative is so against them now, you know, immediately all these people were found, the taxi driver, um, to sort of to 
question their side of events, you know, to sort of say, well, you know, are they just, you know, being um, hysterical about this? And you have to take into account that his mother was killed in a high speed car chase by paparazzi. And he's going to maybe justifiably have a little bit of nervousness around that. Could it be as well, Larkin, that he and Meghan are the victims of bullying, bullying by the media, which is something that he believes that has happened to him throughout his entire life, if you read his book, as I have. And if you also just observe the social media commentary, how unkind it actually is for many people. I know, absolutely. And I look, I genuinely like it. I would have sympathy for them as well. I, you know, he obviously has had a very, very tough life. Despite the privilege, he has had a tough life. And look, they are kind of consistently bullied by the media. I, I will acknowledge that. And maybe that is why then when things like this happen, they do want to make a big deal out of it and they do really, really w- 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 want to push it. So look, I would acknowledge all of that. While at the same time, I think you can also acknowledge the fact that it is the re- it is the reality that if you're going to live in America, you're going to be dealing with paparazzi in this way. That you know, if, yeah, if the, you're going to be high profile and live company, there, the paparazzi company made a, a really funny response actually to the demands that their uh, photographs be returned, and they said, "This is America. Third parties can't just demand it be given their property, uh, as perhaps kings can do." And you might want to remind your client that. Uh, the English rules of royal prerogative to demand that citizenry hand over their property to the crown were rejected by this country long ago. It was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they had me on that statement, actually. I was with them until the end of it by saying, <laughs> we stand by our we founding by fathers. Our and I was a bit like, all right, you, you took it a bit too far. Uh, you, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the founding fathers really envisioned this. I don't think that was their issue with the royal family. Uh, so, yeah. I agree. Uh, would you expect to tell, though, that these photographs will now be sold to the highest bidder or will the photographs be more much really when I suppose in the modern era people want to see video that said the video might give away an awful lot as to what speeds the cars were actually travelling at yeah there, I, and I believe there are video available as well I, I, I do believe that the, the content will be sold to the highest bidder the only thing is is maybe people won't want to buy them now because there has been quite a bit of talk around this and therefore media outlets might be condemned for buying and publishing the subject and therefore sort of encouraging paparazzi chases like this. Okay, let's move on. And we don't want to get involved in any social media bullying as well of the Taoiseach's partner, Matt Barrett. But Lorcan, what did you make of his behaviour for which he has since apologised at the coronation of King Charles in London a fortnight ago? Yeah, and I think that's the first thing is to be very fair. You know, he did apologise and he did properly apologise. There was an unreserved apology and he said I shouldn't have done it. There was no if, ifs or buts. It was, I was wrong. And I think whenever those apologies happen, you need to acknowledge them. I think the central point from, from all of this is, look, there was, it was commentary that he was making You know, he was at the coronation, commentary that he thought he was making to, to his private Instagram account. And so in his head, he was just making them T- to friends, really, even if it was a slightly larger uh, friend look, group. Look, no, look, hang on, look, hang on. Hang let on. me right, finish, on, Matt. On, let me on. finish. Let me finish. That's what he was thinking. <laughs> My advice is always consistently: online is not private. Okay, and people need to realise that. No matter what privacy you've set it to, whether you are talking to a WhatsApp group, whether you are talking to a private Instagram account, online is not private. And the sooner people realise that, if you're even in this tiniest bit in the public eye, you need to realise that. If you're speaking to an online audience that I don't know is larger than can fit in a Toyota Corolla or something then you need to say I might as well be broadcasting this to the world because people are going to share it and you can't lock eyes with them and say was that you who shared it because the group is too big so we see it in WhatsApp we see it in Instagram you have to realise online is not private online is not new either I was hoping that this would result in a kind of 
Wagatha Christie 2.0, where um, <laughs> they could trap the person who actually leaked this story. I thought it would be a great next step, actually, a good way of dealing with it. <laughs> But should Adele have shown more cop on than oh, actually to behave? Did it, and, and was he behaving a bit like, you know, sort of an errant teenager in taking out his phone and taking these photographs and videos when he shouldn't have been and then captioning them and sending them to his mates? I mean, is that what we expect of the partner of our Taoiseach going to this event? Do you know what? I'm going to side with Leo on this one and say, look, Matt is a private individual and who amongst us, Matt, has not made uh, a faux pas online <laughs> in our time? However, I do think, um, I, I was looking at his Twitter actually last week when the story came out and I noticed that he describes himself in his bio as a naive cardiologist and I do think it was probably a little bit naive of him um, to do this. But, I mean, the excitement of, of, of the event and in fairness to him now, he had some good lines, I thought, like the, the, the quip about the when the crown was going on and he expected it to... Uh, make uh, a, a speech about um, Gryffindor, like the Harry Potter sorting hat. I thought that was quite good. And also, when the clerk of the closet um, came out, he said something like, that's been my job until I was in my early 20s. I thought that was quite funny. Um, maybe, so, maybe he you know, should have been given a gig on the... <laughs> Maybe he should have been given a gig in the RT commentary of the coronation. Yeah, it, Maybe they should have, have RT should have done the alternative uh, sort of commentary, the comedy one that nobody seems to have done. Kind of like Graham Norton's commentary of the Eurovision. That exactly. Would have been amazing. I would have watched that. Lorcan? I would. Uh, yeah, perhaps Graham Norton is who I thought of straight away there as well. It may have made it uh, a little bit less pointless uh, showing the full coronation. But look, I think part of this as well is as much as you know your your national listener there said, "Well, who cares about this prince?" We're, people are obsessed with the royal family, and we do think it's cool to be associated with them, and that's part of I assume, where the instinct to, to share all this came from. I am at this cool event, and we're we're still always a little bit in awe of England and the royal family and anybody bigger than us. And I think you know even. That is, you know, I'd prefer not to be associated with, with, with that view. You know, speak, apart- for, speak for yourself, Lord. I, Don't be including all of us I, in that. I meant, I meant the royal we. <laughs> but apparently, <laughs> apparently that was part of the embarrassment that some Irish people felt like Paul Costello, the, the designer, he was saying that it was embarrassing because the, now the English think that we Irish don't know how to behave ourselves at an event like this. And, um, you know, you can see the point of view from that side of things too. But honestly, I think it was, it's, it's probably something that he himself is very embarrassed about now. And I'd say he had to do um, a more serious apology to Leo than he did on his Twitter. Idel, though, talking of phone etiquette, what did you make of Pope Francis on Wednesday interrupting his weekly audience with the Catholic faithful to take a phone call? I know, after him um, warning Catholics everywhere uh, to beware of the dangers of getting addicted to your phone, I really... What I want to know is who was on the phone? Like, was it God himself? Who was calling the Pope that he had to, it was so important that he had to be interrupted? Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, I think it just goes to show how kind of accepted it is to sort of have our phones out at dinner tables and during conferences and meetings. And uh, excuse me, if I have to get off the line, Matt, to take a call while I'm on air here. It's it's just, I think it's just become part of um, of our lives now. But really, the question that remains to be answered for me is uh, who who was on that call? Uh, what do you think does this say, Lorcan, about the Pope's phone etiquette? 
Yeah, I, I, I rarely be in a position to say it, but I'd have to take issue with Pope Francis on, on this one because <laughs> uh, I, I find that there's nothing more frustrating than when this was happened during a live audience than when you're there and somebody takes a phone call because I think, well, I'm here though, so so why does the person who didn't bother showing up get to talk to you while I'm here? So you know, when you're in a you know you're, you're ordering food or something like that, and somebody rings it in, or the delivery delivery driver gets in ahead of you, I always find that very frustrating. So I was annoyed at the Pope um, for, <laughs> for 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 this one. Uh, I think in general we all realise that you know it's probably never as important as you think it is and the person who's mm. on the other end of the phone you know you always like to think it's fierce important and it's fierce urgent but we miss calls all the time and everything keeps going and we're fine and he's done this before so it can't have been a one-off event you know it wasn't a Robert Langdon Da Vinci Code style situation where you know somebody absolutely had to had to deal with something straight away in the Vatican because there was a hidden something or other uh, so it, you know, it wasn't that big a deal was. for a loan of the Pope Mobile maybe yeah, perhaps it's happened three times I think so it's, it's pretty poor and also you know we can, n- none of us can be hypocrites not, 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 not even the Pope and if he's talked out about against addiction to mobile phones when he's in front mm-hmm. of people he should give them the care and attention they deserve Okay, stay with us, Larkin 9 in the Dell Coffee, because we've lots more to get through in the week trending, including a Minister's defence of a Chinese fast, fast fashion store opening in Ireland after we've had this break. Uh, we have a listener who was wondering if the Pope answered the phone because he thought it was the cash call. Right, let's move <laughs> on with Eddie, with Dell Coffee and Larkin 9. Okay, we will have the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, in studio with us next Tuesday for a special one hour between five o'clock and six o'clock in which you can send in your questions as to environmental issues and how he's dealing with them and what the government should be doing. Uh, so you can send in those particular questions on Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday to us and he'd be in with us between five o'clock and six o'clock. I wonder will there be any questions in relation to his knowledge of fast fashion and Sheen, the retailer. Why, Adele, is Sheen controversial to many people? Well, it's controversial because they make huge volumes of clothing at incredibly cheap prices and they're um, a company that are not renowned for their uh, work ethic or their work practices and their employment uh, practices. And they're also incredibly popular all over the world. They sell clothes uh, so cheaply that people buy them to wear once or people buy them who can't afford to shop elsewhere. And um, they're part of the fast fashion problem, which is that um, something like 85% of all textiles end up in dumps every single year. And they're responsible for like the fast fashion industry itself. Now, not just Sheen, is responsible for about 10% of global carbon emissions and 20% of wastewater. So it's a really, it's a, it's a dirty industry and um, it needs to be tackled. But yeah, Eamon Ryan said that he wasn't familiar with them. And they're so controversial, actually. They are high profile. I think most people at this stage are familiar with, with them. So it, it kind of um, was surprising that he said that and he was saying it in the light of them um, sort of setting up their Europe, Middle East and Africa headquarters in Dublin. Well, and and we go to Lorcan on that and we get whatever about pop-up shops, putting a corporate headquarters in Ireland is highly significant. So as, does it seem that when they're bringing employment in and will be paying tax revenues, that the government will be perhaps less vocal in relation to its environmental issues. Well, yeah, look, that's the central point, and I suppose the answer is we don't know, because what, what Eamon Ryan initially said and what he was focused on, what, what was correct is that fast fashion is a big issue, it's a really, really hard issue to tackle, and we need Irish and European regulations to deal with it, because you find it very hard to recycle, and it's, it's very hard 
to deal with so you have to tackle it at source it's a really really strong point it's a good point the key now is to see is what are we doing to bring forward that regulation what does that regulation look like what's Ireland's role in bringing forward that regulation um, and so is there is there a subtleness of way we won't push it because they're here perhaps but like that's very true of a huge amount of regulation coming out of Ireland given how open we are and given how dependent we are um, to, to FUI so look I, I think in some ways look yeah Imran should have known who the company was if he's going to talk about fast fashion he, he should be across the area and he should know and he should know it so it's a lack of knowledge and a, and a lack of understanding perhaps but Look, his wider point was, look, we can't block this company when we have other companies who are also involved in the area. And I think that's fair enough as well. I mean, you, you can't just blame one company. There's a whole host of people involved in the fast fashion area um, who aren't uh, 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 this company, who aren't a company com- coming from China. And so you can't critique one without critiquing the rest. So that point stands as well. So what he's being critiqued for, if, if that is what he's being critiqued for, should only be a lack of, of knowledge and understanding rather than the actual point he was making, which was fine. But then, I'll stay with you, Lorcan, Dennis, what about our TikTok relationship? Because we also have TikTok not just having its European headquarters in Dublin, but a couple of major data centres as well to store all the information uh, that is the subject of some worry as to what it would actually do with it. Belatedly, after other EU countries decided that government officials shouldn't have TikTok on their mobile phones, we followed suit. But can you ever imagine that we'll go the way of Montana in the United States, which is now attempting to ban TikTok entirely? Yeah, so they've become the first state in the United States to say, look, not allowed. And from the 1st of January, you know, TikTok will not be allowed in the state of Montana. Now, there's obviously going to be legal challenges to their decision and we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But they have taken the relatively bold step. And actually, the way in which they've done it is is just interesting in that what they're saying is it's again going back to that tackling at source they're looking at Apple um, and Google Play on the stores on the app stores and say ye will be fined if TikTok is still available to download in Montana rather than going after the end users. So, you know, when it comes to regulation of online, that really is the only way you can do it, is you have to look at the the gateways, the gatekeepers, look at them, look at the social media companies, look at the tech companies and see how can we regulate you to stop getting at the users because it's impossible to regulate the user. It's impossible to fully regulate the, the internet in that way. So it is interesting. But again, yeah, it's very much linked in with the last story. And, and it, look, they're interesting questions to ask. Are, are we going to be leaders in that space? Because look, we're the, one, we're the ones who have to kind of regulate them on, on a European level when it comes to the tech companies here. Um, and yet, obviously, we do have strong relations with them in terms of employment. So is, is there a double standard there? And they are questions we must keep asking and that we must keep demanding answers from because we actually have to be leaders in this space. We, we, we can't be following. Adele, will we be better off without TikTok? Oh, gosh. I I have an account, but I use it so little that I, I don't really feel like it would be any uh, hardship for me to forego it. Are but, you not um, watching cat videos all the time in it? <laughs> I'm making cat videos all the time of my three cats. <laughs> but no, I, I don't use it as much as Instagram or anything like that. But I do think... It, might actually be um, beneficial considering that something like, was it 16% of teenagers, American teenagers, say they use it constantly. Uh, Think of the definition of that word. They are constantly on the app, 16% of all teens. Like, I mean, that's just hard to fathom, really, but um, it's, it's a fact. Adele, we had one of your fellow novelists, Joe Spain, on with us earlier, and we were talking about uh, artificial intelligence being used for writing of books and screenplays, you know, something that should worry you perhaps. So what do you think of the efforts been suggested now in American politics to try and put limits on the adaptation of AI? Sure, listen, Matt, I've been very tempted at times to type into ChatGPT 
give me the ending for my book, please. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I haven't. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's an interesting, it's it's a moving story, as I say. Sam Altman, uh, the chief executive of OpenAI, was before uh, the Senate subcommittee um, there and, and basically was in agreement in a rare uh, move. He was in agreement with um, the people, the politicians who were interviewing him, saying that they need help regulating uh, the technology because, you know, there are going to be, you know, it, it's, it's an unknown area. We're, we're, we're just developing it and there's certainly lots of worries about AI's potential harms like around privacy, around bias and obviously around fake news and fake narratives as we saw last week with that uh, news story um, or that column in the Irish Times um, that hoax so and that's that's just the tip of the iceberg um, so yeah it is kind of worrying and there's lots of worst case scenarios out there that you can look up and anybody who grew up with films like The Terminator and Robocop will uh, certainly have lots of nightmarish um, ideas about it as I do but um, but then but yeah, I th- I th- Larkin sorry, I want to bring you in this because if we were to try and put limits on AI in the Western world, would we actually be putting ourselves in danger of the Chinese and other nations with vast resources using it to gain advantage over us? Yeah, can I, I briefly say, first of all, that this, this fella, Sam Onman, has some nerve. Uh, he, he invented a thing. He runs the company. And now yeah. he's saying, by the way, be wary of it. It's like somebody came into your house and released a swarm of killer bees and said, by the way, uh, these killer bees, they, they, they might sting yeah, you. They might, be, you know, they, they might not be great for you. And it's like, OK, like, how, how are we going to control this? I don't really know, but I just wanted to let you know it's a bit dangerous. So you better control those. So like he's, he's, tr- he's trying to trying to have his artificial cake as, as well as eat it. But yeah, I think you're right a point because my, my gut on this on, on the AI is we don't need that kind of progress my gut is we do not need um, the jobs that this is going to shed we do not need people taking away and automating systems progress for the sake of progress is absolutely pointless so we don't need that progress but of course that's that would be if we could regulate across the entire globe we probably will get left behind if we decide not to to embrace it not to drive the progress um, but look at the same stage that all the progress in these things is still coming out of America so they still are the tech hub in that sense but my gut on it is still even if that happens do you know what let's prioritise the value people have in their work let's prioritise jobs let's prioritise employment in, in the best sense um, and we don't need this kind of progress okay. which I know makes me a Luddite and I know that nobody's going to listen to that approach and we're going to drive on with AI and uh, the killer bees will get in and we'll see what happens I Lark think the genie is just I, out of I, the bottle there, isn't it? The, it the is. genie is out of the bottle. We've got to leave it there. Adele Coffey, author and Irish Examiner columnist, Lorcan Nine, Head of Careers at the Communications Clinic. Thank you both for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. Ian Guider with us after the traffic of Mark Hogan. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.